Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them, and this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, great. Well, hi, Beth. Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. Thank you so much for being on it today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I was really excited to have you on because I'm thinking, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the environmental impact of our daily actions. And it's really important, obviously, for everyone to consider them. But for those people who want to have kids, I feel like there's this added layer of like, how are my current actions going to impact the quality of life of my children and future generations, especially if you're taking part in the development of those generations. So, um, so first I, I, that's why I was like so excited to have you on the podcast, but I really wanted you to kind of share with everyone, um, how you became the climate and recycling director at green America and a little bit about what green America does. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've been with green America for over six years now. Um, and we are an environmental nonprofit, um, that is based in Washington, D.C., but we're a national nonprofit. And we do, we work on a wide range of issues, um, but our core theory of change is to use economic action to create environmental and social changes. Um, so our work is all about people and the planet. For us, it's not truly green or sustainable um, unless uh, the labor practices of a company are uh, responsible and that is, you know, having a positive impact on communities and um, things like that. So it's, it's very important to us to have um, both of those, the social and environmental um, components addressed through our work. And we do this through a variety of ways. We support small green businesses uh, that have sustainable practices and try to lift them up uh, while also doing corporate campaign work. So companies that have made promises or commitments uh, to improve their practices that have fallen short of that, um, we mobilize consumers and sort of use that pressure point uh, to drive Im- improvements and changes at different companies and throughout different sectors. Um, so that is what we have been doing, and we've been in that space for about 35 years. Wow. <laughs> um, so we're kind of an older nonprofit, but still, um, you know, very small and, and a very small and passionate team here. Um, and I began my work with Green America. Actually, I used to direct a program called the Better Paper Project, and we were focused on having publishers use recycled content in their paper. So instead of using new virgin fiber from forests, um, to use uh, more recycled content. And we, um, I think, ended up getting about 200 magazine publishers uh, over the course of a decade to 
um, shift their practices, incorporate more recycled content. One of the more notable ones being National Geographic mm-hmm. has for many years been printing on totally virgin fiber. So we right. um, urged them to finally start using recycled content, which was a big a big move forward. So, yeah. um, but that that program did. Um, we scaled that back because there has been a decline in publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but that is how kind of my work began on waste issues and recycling issues. And through that work, I was able to learn a lot more in depth about the challenges in our recycling system mm-hmm. um, and trying to figure out whose responsibility is it to fix all of these, right. uh, these things that are going wrong that are preventing it from functioning as it should. Um, and throughout that work and research, I kind of kept getting pointed in different directions until I realized, of course, it's all of our responsibility, but those responsibilities look different uh, based on the role we have in recycling and waste. Um, so that was sort of my, my entry into into the issue area, and it's just been a full-on uh, a very passionate yeah. um, focus of my life ever since. That sounds amazing. I mean, it's so cool how you got started that project with with the recycled paper. I I love that. I did hear about National Geographic using virgin paper, and for some reason, I feel like I also heard Victoria's Secret catalogs are also printed on yeah. virgin paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For years ago, um, there was a regular campaign. I want to say it was maybe um, Greenpeace was also involved. Don't quote me on that. It could have been Greenpeace, but a lot of the environmental NGOs uh, work together and very collaboratively on these issues, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, one of the one of the campaign efforts was to have people standing out front of Victoria's Secret in malls mm-hmm. um, holding, um, I guess, fake chainsaws or something to try and raise awareness about the clear cutting of forest that was going into their catalogs. And so, yeah, it's, it's always a very collaborative and creative approach um, working yeah. with a lot of organizations on this. Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, I love that. I think that's what's going to get move the needle, right, is these all these totally. people with similar efforts kind of working together. Um, well, that was such a cool project. Do you have any other, like, kind of favorite projects or initiatives that you've worked on since joining Green America? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we are doing a lot of work all the time, which is great. A big part of my job is to um, address questions and concerns and promote education around waste. Um, so I, I actually love getting people's questions about recycling and waste reduction and mm-hmm. helping find solutions. So um, it's, you know, so, sort of sometimes seems like a bit of a like member services, customer service kind of aspect of my job, but I, I love it. And I think it's one of my favorite things that I do. Um, we also have a campaign right now that we're working on to raise awareness about uh, the waste of paper receipts. Um, yeah. So we have a campaign called Skip the Slip, uh, mm-hmm. which is designed to help people think about the environmental impacts and even um, exposure risks from from receipts being coded in BPA mm-hmm. um, and BPS. And so it's a campaign to raise awareness about that, but sort of just to introduce the concept of interrupting these automatic waste processes we have throughout, mm-hmm. I mean, really just every day in our lives. We're kind of encountering these different um, systems that are designed to generate waste. And so it's, it's another campaign that's kind of putting a pause in that, like campaigns that are tackling paper cups and straws and bags and, and sort of looking at these daily ubiquitous items and asking, are they necessary? Could we be doing this better? Um, and so we've been working on that campaign um, for the last, about the last year and a half, which has been really exciting and interesting. Yeah, I actually, um, I shared that on my Instagram story and it's still on my link tree. If people tap the link in my bio, they can um, tap the skip the slip 
initiative to like sign up and oh, sign wow, the petition. Cool. Yeah, because I really Thank do you so think. Much. Yeah, because I, I totally agree. It's like these systems are set up to just generate waste. Whenever I see someone like you know get takeout or myself, you know, it's just like immediately that paper product or the plastic that it, the food was put in, it's immediately becomes trash, and that's what like yeah. drives me crazy. It's just it was made to be thrown in the trash. And I just think that if people start thinking about products that way, that they're not made to last, they're not made to be held on to or to have in your life. It's like literally you're buying it and throwing it away. And I just think that's so bizarre. Um, So that's an awesome, I guess, like, first step, or I'm sure one of many steps that's already in, in, that's already happening to kind of change, like disrupt that process, which I really, really love. Um, Did you... Did you always have, like, the, um, exposure to this? Like, growing up, did your parents kind of talk to you about recycling and waste and where your food goes or your trash goes or anything like that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of it was um, driven by different members of our household. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the way my parents kind of came, you know, to address waste uh, was really guided by what their parents did. So what my grandparents um, of the generation that experienced the Great Depression and World War II, you know, their, um, I guess, practices of waste reduction um, seemed like habits that were developed during those eras of really constrained resources during those times. And mm-hmm. so I think um, my parents sort of incorporated um, a bit of those habits that they saw their parents doing um, into their daily lives. And so it was more about, you know, why, why generate so much waste. But of course, this was also in conflict with um, an increased use of plastics and disposability, fast food. So we kind of had, you know, multiple different levers going on in our lives. But um, this is going to sound kind of silly, but I, I, when I was a kid, I would watch the Nickelodeon channel and they every year had uh, something called the Big Help. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was like a day where they encouraged kids to get out and get really active and do like litter cleanups and Mm -hmm. um, other ways to help the community. And, and that is one, that's like a very fundamental memory in my brain wow. of like thinking I gotta go clean up litter and so yeah. like getting some neighborhood kids together and we went out to streams and parks and picked up litter and stuff and so I think that was you know an interesting time period because in the 90s we really saw a big push for reduce reuse recycle and it was really being concentrated on kids of that era. So mm-hmm. we learned about it in schools for the first time. We were the first generation to really be hearing about this in a lot of different mediums. And so I think, um, yeah, I think that was also a big influence. So then I would come home and say, we have to recycle, we have to do this. And mm-hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> be a bit of an annoying kid trying to get my parents to, to do that. So it was, it was definitely like a lot of different influences, I think, that, that first, you know, steered me towards environmental issues but I grew up in the south in a um, rural town Uh playing outside a lot in the woods and so my parents certainly encouraged that and really tried to cultivate a love and appreciation for nature with us um, Mm -hmm. which was wonderful yeah I mean definitely growing up in that setting helps develop a stronger relationship just of like simply respect of nature which Mm -hmm. is I think really important Um, so, you know, you said you would run home and tell your parents to recycle and things like that, but now with this job and now that you're an adult and everything, how do you kind of engage your family, friends, your community, I guess, or do they ask you lots of questions? Like, how do you kind of educate them in a way that they're receptive of it? Nothing has changed. I still throw temper tantrums on the kitchen floor. No, I'm totally kidding. 
turns out that's not the most effective way to guide (laughs) behavioral changes. Um, So I definitely talk about this all the time. I have friends and family who regularly will like text me questions and um, ask me questions at, you know, dinners and stuff, which I love um, and appreciate that, you know, people are curious about this stuff and want to learn more. And if I don't have the answer, I do work to try and research and get an answer for them. But yeah, I think a lot of it is because, um, you know, I have a lot of supportive, kind, wonderful um, folks in my life who know I'm passionate about this. And so they bring, you know, observations that they've made in their own lives, questions that they have um, already prepared. And I guess uh, when I was writing a book on recycling last year, that was really a time where a lot of those questions started appearing. And I was kind of asking, you know, what have you ever wondered about recycling? Mm -hmm. Uh, So really approaching it from a place of um, curiosity and letting them just share their own, you know, questions, because I think people are observing waste and recycling so much more than we may realize and just kind of wondering things silently until, you know, they're presented with the opportunity to to ask them. And so, Yeah, so I I think a lot of it is really, for me, motivating from a place of curiosity, not trying to um, shame anyone for the practices they have or don't have, and just really trying to help people see that, you know, it's, none of us were, I guess, born knowing how to tackle waste. Like, we were born into these systems that generate a lot of waste, and so changing those systems is really, really, really difficult, but definitely worth doing and critical. So um, looking for opportunities in your life to to make those changes and knowing there's always ways to, you know, improve and do better, but we need to balance that with celebrating um, what we're already doing. Um, So that's kind of the tone I try and take with friends is, really, you know, coming from a place of curiosity, celebrating what's already being done, and maybe suggesting a way to, to elevate that, that action a little bit in their lives. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's great advice. I mean, the one thing that I find it's hard, though, and this is I, w- I want to get into talking about recycling now with you is there's a lot of information out there. And it's like almost too much. It's really hard to navigate. And I've heard just a variety of things of like how to recycle properly and you can't just like throw the plastic juice bottle into the trash can. Like I guess you're supposed to rinse it first, but I I just don't think everybody knows all of these things. And I know ultimately the goal now, it kind of changed from reduce, reuse, recycle to reduce, reuse, repurpose. Like we're trying to get away from just waste in general, but when it comes to recycling, um, you know, people feel good about doing it. Obviously they want to think like, Oh, this product isn't just going to go to a landfill. It's going to somehow like have this continued life cycle. But can you kind of walk us through some of those like misconceptions or just like really great ground rules to know that we're recycling properly? Because that is just for me, the hardest thing to navigate. Absolutely. Well, you are certainly not alone. I think I saw a survey that said, um, the majority of folks who've been surveyed, thought recycling was more complicated than taxes and insurance. So, I mean, people are confused by the the different levels of information out there. And I think you hit the nail on the head because we, when I say we, I mean just sort of the recycling system, um, for many years focused so much on just getting people to participate, getting people to just like put stuff in the recycling bin. Mm -hmm. Um, There wasn't really as much of a focus on where that stuff goes, why we should do it, and, you know, what, what's happening on the other side of the bin. Mm-hmm. I think recycling is kind of presented as this magical box where you could put stuff in and, you know, it, it would fix everything and right. make the earth happy or whatever. And so, so now we're seeing this big change 
because so much of that relationship, um, so much of that, like, put anything in and we'll figure it out, was reliant on the fact that other countries, namely China, Mm -hmm. uh, were purchasing materials in our recycling system that weren't great. They're not quality materials. They're Mm -hmm. covered in food residue. They're improperly sorted, stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. so they used to accept a higher level of what's called contamination and recycling. Mm -hmm. Um, And now that has been stopped. For many years, in recent years, China was warning uh, that they were going to stop accepting just poor quality recyclables. Um, And then a policy came out last year that was exactly that. So it's a very strict contamination limit. um, And that has been a big disruption in recycling system, which I think is actually excellent and wonderful because it creates a catalyst for looking at the problems in recycling and Mm -hmm. figuring out how to make the system operate more as it should to generate more environmental benefits. So that's sort of where we are now, which is it's a really exciting time to be in recycling. But with that, there's a lot of growing pains. There's a lot of tension. You know, change in a system this large doesn't happen um, seamlessly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it probably wouldn't be very impactful change. And so so this is, um, yeah, yeah, a really exciting time. And I think the number one thing to understand about recycling is it is very important to a circular economy. It's a way to responsibly manage materials. Obviously, it comes after reduce and reuse for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, recycling sort of like a disposal option. You know, mm-hmm. it's the most responsible disposal option we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always better to not have anything to dispose of to begin with. So, right. so getting folks to really focus on on the order of the three R's for sure. Um, but also to know that recycling is, you know, there are there's a complex system on the other side of the bin. And there are people that have to deal with the stuff we put in the bin. So when we are doing something called wish cycling, when we say, oh, I'm just going to put this in the bin and it's got some plastic in it, someone will sort it out. The problem with that is that the someone will sort it out part um, can create some big inefficiencies in the system. It can even pose some safety hazards depending Mm -hmm. on what the item we're putting in the bin is. Um, And it can be really costly and it can even add emissions if the object itself has to be rerouted from a recycling facility because it can't go with the current system that we have in our current recycling stream. So so it's really important to to understand what the recycling guidelines in your community are and to know that it is sort of an organic process because recycling is so tied to markets because the whole goal of recycling um, is not just to avoid landfills and incinerators. It's to have materials that we can use in new manufacturing so that we don't need more intensive mining operations, deforestation, other extraction methods like that. Like we want to have quality materials to actually use again to extend uh, the life of those materials. And so the the quality of the materials we're putting into the system is really important. Mm -hmm. And so now what we're seeing is a lot of education, a lot of awareness campaigns, and a lot of work to try and re-educate the public on it's not just about recycle everything and we'll figure it out it's we're all working as a part of this system this is a service that we need to make sure that we're doing correctly so that we're getting the benefits that we should be getting out of this system that we really haven't been um at the scale that that we could yeah I mean, I, I totally, that's such a great way of putting it, of, of like having the high quality products for us to re- keep reusing. I mean, that's so important. But yeah, I, I think just even knowing that I have to rinse out everything that I put in the recycling bin, that's like a really, that's something I recently learned. And, you know, you said before how we learn about it in school. I really, for some, I feel like we just focus on it in elementary school when we have very little power at home or in our lives. 
And I mean, like, obviously, like, you went home and told your parents, like, that's what a lot of kids do. But I think it, yeah. for some reason it stops, like, as we get older. And and I feel like Absolutely. in high school it's way more – like, especially right before you go off to college when you're, like, now responsible for everything that you eat and bring into your dorm room or whatever it is. Like, that is such an important part of your life that, like, really I feel like that education should be amplified and not kind of muted from before. Uh, yes, absolutely. I totally agree. And I, I think the, the idea that like, we're going to teach people this one time and that's going to be it yeah. really doesn't really show how complex and evolving our waste stream is. Because when we learned about recycling or when a lot of people learned in, in the nineties, maybe that waste is totally different than the waste we have now. Like we've mm-hmm. seen an increase in plastic products. We've seen more sophisticated items that are like mixes of aluminum and plastic and paper. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more electronic waste. And so like the, the waste stream is constantly going to be changing. And so a part of that is just knowing and understanding that um, recycling and waste, is, it's not a static issue. Right. Yep. Um, so when you said that you guys help kind of small businesses and, and, you know, big businesses, like how you mentioned, I know this was before green America, but national geographic, like who, you know, I think, I think of this quote always, it's just one straw said 7 billion people. And that like totally hit me because, you know, everyone says, oh, it's just one person. It's just me. Like, how can I make a difference? But I'm like, if everyone just believed that their actions could make a difference, the impact could be so, so huge. And so I just wanted to know kind of from your perspective, like how much responsibility or like how much can people do versus big businesses? Cause I know obviously big businesses have a larger impact because of their, um, you know, activity, but I guess, would you say it's pretty equal? Like how much focus should be on the individual versus the business? Like, what would you say? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we're definitely seeing this conversation popping up a lot. Um, especially around the conversation about plastics, you Mm -hmm. know, who's, Whose fault is it? Who's responsible for cleaning up this mess that's, like, plaguing our oceans right now? Um, and, and to me, I think we all have a role in dealing with waste, and we all have a role in um, sustainability. Mm-hmm. But that role looks different based on the sphere of influence we have and, like, I guess, bluntly, the, the amount of harm that we're creating, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. so I think that we have to remember that corporations, politicians that are making decisions that um, lead to environmental degradation or exploitation of resources or communities um, are also individuals. And they're individuals with an extremely large sphere of influence, and they're right. currently using that in, um, in I would say, an, an incorrect and unjust way. And so, so I think it's about doing what you can in your own life and, you know, celebrating that, encouraging others to do the same, exactly like you said, kind of like spreading that knowledge, right? Like it's one billion people. And then that has to start with just sharing with friends and family, like encouraging other people and inspiring people to, mm-hmm. to be more sustainable rather than shaming and blaming them for not doing it. Right. And so, so I think that's one piece. Um, but also just using any voices or influence you have to um, – demand change, to hold accountability to other individuals or entities in the system that are doing really unacceptable practices. So I think we can do that. I mean, now with social media, we can do that in ways we've never been able to before. (laughs) Um, Sometimes we'll have, we'll see corporations that um, are making a change. They're, you know, committing to a different environmental practice. And 
a lot of times they cite, frankly, our customers are demanding this, so that's what we're doing. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, I think we have a lot of a lot of pressure points when we mobilize together and mm-hmm. when we're all chipping in and posting on, you know, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and tagging a company and, and applying that pressure point um, and also looking for um, businesses that are have better practices to support. And, you know, the, the whole vote with your dollar thing, I also think means vote by not spending your dollar. Think about how you're investing your money. Think about how you're using your political influence. Um, are we yeah. going to town halls? and asking about waste issues and sustainability of our elected officials, like demanding that they create plans, showing that we care about these issues. And so so I think there are levels of influence we certainly have as individuals that can drive more systemic change, um, but I don't think it should be up to us as individuals to create a new system and implement it because we, we don't have that sphere of influence necessarily. Right. But we can demand and drive um, and be a stakeholder at that table to make sure that, um, yeah, our values are being reflected um, by the people who we're, who we're holding accountable, really. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think that definitely was... Definitely in all of the above. <laughs> yeah, it's very well put. Um, so for smaller businesses or, or any just startups, you know, now it's like 2019, everyone has a startup, including myself, like... <laughs> Um, you know, it's like a great opportunity. <laughs> with startups, it's such hard work. I'm like, it's, it, I really admire this. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity though, because you, ha- you don't have to change any infrastructure that you've had in place for decades, right? Like maybe Johnson yeah. and Johnson or Dove, you know, all these big companies that have like these factories with the plastic and it's all set up for exactly that. You know, that's harder and more expensive to change. I mean, they should still do that, but especially because they probably can afford to do it. But um, the point is, is that with these startups that have the opportunity to kind of set it up properly, um, I guess what I guess I'm kind of answering my own question, but I guess being part of that movement and kind of speaking out because I do see businesses now saying we do x y and z correctly and they're like startups so they're they're already kind of starting on the right foot which is I think great and again goes back to your point of like use your dollar wisely or don't use your dollar but like when you do make sure it's with a good company like and we'll get into kind of moving and stuff because I do want to talk a little bit about that but I discovered this company called Sustain LA And they basically have refill stations at farmer's markets, but they also have a delivery option where you can get everything for your home from like cleaning supplies, shampoo, body wash, face wash, toothpaste, um, tablets, everything that you could ever need delivered right to your door in reusable glass containers. And then they pick up the empty glass containers and drop off with the filled glass containers. So it's, it's like, there's no waste, right? And it's all liquid or soap bars or whatever you want. And so that's what my boyfriend and I are doing now in our home where I'm like, I'm getting the first delivery on Friday and I can't wait. Um, but it'll be, you know, it's awesome to just go into a new place and have no, like to start off on the right foot you know, with like a fresh start, which is, I think, great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I think you're definitely right that now we're seeing these shifts in what consumers are demanding and we see, you know, surveys and, mm-hmm. and different reports coming out saying millennials, um, millennials prefer slash require uh, businesses to be more responsible environmentally and socially. And so I think, I think the tricky thing there is to still continue to, to push and, you know, continue with that thread of curiosity and, mm-hmm. and asking of a new startup. I regularly will email a company and say, um, 
you know, it's really important to me that companies use recycled materials. Can you tell me more about like what percentage of your product uses recycled, you know, or mm-hmm. is it, is it recyclable in most communities? I'm concerned about this. And so, and I, I often will email before making a purchase or anything like that, or even companies who I've been supporting that I'm, you know, second guessing, like mm-hmm. to ask more. And so I think it's within our right to constantly be asking, pushing questions because I mean, it is really difficult for a company to be, you know, um, perfect, <laughs> impossible really, uh, to meet that gold standard right away. And so I think, uh, using that lens of like consumer influence and asking and, and posing the question, I think can really present new opportunities for even startups to develop more sustainable, um, practices into their, into their work. And, and because they're more open to it, like those are the ones we really want to, um, yeah, push and see thrive, uh, in that space. Um, but I totally agree. There are a number of small businesses that are already doing these practices are asking themselves the hard questions, um, Mm -hmm. of, you know, where are the suppliers getting materials? How are uh, the labor practices throughout the supply chain for their product? You know, like really learning a lot more, uh, than I guess sometimes traditional corporations even know about the full impacts of their products. So doing that due diligence from the start, um, I think is, is definitely something I'm seeing in, in a lot of small businesses, which is wonderful. Um, the downside of that, I think, is we also have some businesses that maybe are trying to um, capitalize on the sustainability movement and, mm-hmm. you know, do these practices called greenwashing where um, they're implying, you know, they'll say, this is a sustainable, you know, pair of leggings or this is a sustainable, you know, whatever, and mm-hmm. um, not really give background information for that, not show the certifications on their website, not give more detail. Um, but I'm starting to notice that when I see those ads pop up on social media, I'll check the comments and start seeing people pushing back and yeah. saying, well, how, how is this sustainable? What's going on with this? Like, what do you mean by that? And that is just so exciting and cool to see that people are, are using social media in this way, um, already so often and like using that opportunity to really push a company to, to answer the questions, um, which I think is, is great. So that, that's something I've just been noticing, um, an increase in just like anecdotally. Yeah, no, I actually, I'll comment. Um, I get ads, um, for meal deliveries, like thrive, not thrive, um, not thrive there, but anyway, there's some that just like, you know, you get your three meals a day delivered and whatever. And I write back, I'm like, how is this sustainable? Everything that your food comes in is in plastic. Like you're just developing more waste. And meal delivery companies really need to like, especially now, because I feel like more than ever, they're becoming so popular. Um, But yeah, Yeah. but asking those questions, like you said, you know, where you inquire with the brands that you either love already or you're interested in, in purchasing, you know, I feel like we're the socialization process of us, like in school, we're taught not to really be that way like to ask those questions we're not really like I feel like in my mind when I think about because I sometimes want to ask those questions I'll be like oh no I don't want to be annoying like I don't want to be that customer that like gives a hard time to like the sales girl who like has nothing to do with the product development or you know and so it's hard to know I guess I guess emailing the source directly is probably the best way of doing it but yeah it's it's harder and it's definitely not instinctual to ask those questions Totally. I completely agree. Yeah, we, we really haven't, like, designed um, communication pathways that allow us always to speak directly to the person with the most decision-making mm-hmm. power. And so it's, I think it's sort of, you know, like, I definitely would not say um, 
taking time out of your day to yell at a cashier yeah. <laughs> about you know, packaging in their store, which I've heard some people will do, or just like leave the packaging, you know, like litter basically inside the store as kind of a form of protest. And I, I just always have to say, are we applying the message, the overall message we're trying to get through, where the decision-making power is, where the, right. where the pain and harm is coming from, really, right. like where the problem is, you know, or are we making the person right in front of us this day really a lot more difficult? And they're like, right. I don't know what you want to do about yeah. this. So I think that's a really good point. It's like, make sure, you know, that um, we are asking those questions, but doing so in a way that like promotes positive change mm-hmm. uh, and make, and recognizing that the person you're connecting with um, might not be the person who you you should be yelling at necessarily, but yeah. <laughs> by posing the questions and asking, that really um, I guess applies an incentive for whoever that you know team member is to take that uh, to a department head or you know like kind of move it up the ladder I guess of of um, conversation. So so yeah, I think that's a really really good point to make. Yeah, and you know on social media, kind of on that note too. I see definitely a mix of like doomsday messaging where it's like, we're so far gone. There's no way we can any, anything we do now will save us or future generations. But then you like see really uplifting, amazing videos of like technological innovation and businesses leading the way. And it's, it really is inspiring. And so I wanted to ask you kind of what, what have you seen get on the local state and federal levels that are like some of those more exciting developments that just make us like think that, you know, there is hope, there's a chance that we could change and, and that could just be, you know, like really grassroots or, you know, on the federal level with, with laws and things like that. Mm, Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much. It's crazy. And I think, I, I do think it's, it's an interesting mix that we're seeing now. And it, I think in many ways sort of shows, uh, the different um, attitudes and approaches that different people have towards a very overwhelming challenge, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, like, climate, climate, the climate crisis is exactly that. It's very overwhelming. It's frustrating. Um, it's depressing. It's, you know, there are all these things that come along with it, and I think we can choose multiple different reactions to it. And some, right. some people are more inclined to pick the, you know what, like, it's too... It's we're too far gone. It's too hard. Let's just not bother. Like nothing's going to fix it. Um, and then you know the more optimistic point of view, the more hopeful, inspired. Like think about all the challenges we've overcome in many ways. Um, think about all the solutions that already exist uh, for getting us to more sustainable systems. And um, mm-hmm. that would be, I would have to say, uh, the the path I tend to take more often. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I do think we have a wide range of solutions that exist, but there are uh, significant barriers, whether that be um, political barriers or uh, barriers through just the inherent problems with capitalism, you know, mm-hmm. like that are that are keeping those solutions from being scaled up at the rate that we need them to. So, so what I'm seeing now, I think, is this pushback and demand. Uh, for those barriers to be addressed or removed so that these solutions can be used more widely um, mm-hmm. and, a, and a demand for, yeah, accountability, absolutely, on elected officials, on corporate leaders um, who are making these decisions and really applying those pressure points. So so that certainly gives me a lot of hope. I think for me, it's, I don't just get hope when I see people with an inspiring message. I sometimes, you know, I also get hope when I see people with an angry but proactive message too. Like right. there's a lot to really be frustrated about. And so using that anger, um, and fusing it with, you know, this 
hopefulness, I think can be a really powerful um, approach by um, by trying to drive solutions. So so I think there's there we're seeing a lot uh, through just the 2020 election, honestly, for the, mm-hmm. the presidential election. We're already seeing candidates who are running for president releasing climate plans, which is um, totally unusual and never happened before. Right. The fact that climate change has already been such a such a part of this dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I obviously think it should be more a part of the dialogue. But I think in the last election, what was it, maybe six minutes of debate time was devoted to climate and environmental issues. And so now we're seeing this push from organizations to have an entire debate session surrounding climate issues. And so so I think it's being forced to be a part of the national conversation. And I do think the Green New Deal um, is a big part of that. I think the Sunrise Movement, the Zero Hour Movement, like young activists who are demanding this from their elected officials um, to protect their future, is uh, is really creating a lot of powerful conversation in the political sphere. So, um, so that I think is really hopeful and interesting, and it's been interesting to see the different climate plans, you know, coming out from different candidates, um, but also to see policy happening at the state and local level um, that are, you know, the the we're still in commitments, so to speak, like states that are committed to meeting the um, goals of the Paris Climate Agreement set mm-hmm. a few years ago that the U.S. unfortunately has pulled out of because of President Trump. Yep. Um, but there are a lot of state leaders and uh, mayoral offices who are committed to meeting those goals and have some cases, I think, set more ambitious goals, um, which is really great. So so I think we're still seeing a lot of really powerful glimpses of, of leadership on these issues, um, certainly not from uh, the executive office right now, but... Um, but I think I think that's that's really hopeful for me to, to see yeah. the movement where where it is happening. Um, and of course, I just think yeah, the grassroots movements that I'm seeing, the expansion of sustainability being discussed on, like I said, social media and on different platforms is really inspiring. And I think um, it's the that many activists have been doing to highlight and raise uh, the concern of environmental justice issues, climate justice, like really drawing the parallels and connections and intersections with these other social movements um, on environmental issues is extraordinarily powerful. And so I, I do think there's there's a lot going on. And so for me, I kind of have to, when I'm having those days where I'm more, more veered to the other side of like, yeah. oh, God, I'm so tired. Like, this is very depressing. And it's really hard when you hear, you know, a million species could go extinct, like, you know, all yeah. the reports that are coming out. Um, but looking at the macro level, I do think about how many passionate people find this to be unacceptable and are demanding change with whatever levers they can. Um, and so I, I think that's, that's definitely happening. And, and we're certainly, um, yeah, I think seeing a lot of that progress, um, although it feels slow sometimes and needs to be faster, but, but yeah. I, do, I think there's a lot to be hopeful about. Um, there's yeah. one climate scientist and I was just trying to find their name, but, um, I think they, they had a quote that was something like, if you read the current climate reports, and you don't feel pessimistic, you don't have a brain, but if you don't, if you see the action being taken and don't feel hopeful, you don't have a heart. And so it's sort of this oh, like yeah. married thing of like, you realize that the problems we're facing and, and in many ways have created are overwhelming um, and not acting won't make them less overwhelming. So we need to really just look yeah. at the solutions that exist and demand that they be implemented. Yeah. 
And I know it's like sounds cheesy, but like believing in yourself that you do have power to create change. And even if that's just in your home, like you still have yeah. the community of people who come to your home and see your, you know, kind of ha- daily habits and things like that. So it is really, really important. And I, I love that quote about having a heart. I think that's spot on. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you can, um, exactly like you said, you know, the practices you have in your home when you use, you know, on, and it feels weird to go from this macro level of climate talk to the micro day-to-day decisions we make, but but I think that really influences a lot of, like, what our social norms, what we accept as a society, what we're what the expectations are. And if we're trying to shift from a um, exploitive, disposable, um, consumer-heavy society, we need to see those social cues change. And I think when people bring their reusable bags, when people bring Tupperware to a restaurant to yeah. uh, take their leftovers home, like, people see that. And, you know, it might seem weird, it might seem strange, but, like, it gives other people the inspiration and even permission, I guess, to, to do that too. So you, yeah. you can really inspire people just by like navigating the world, making more sustainable choices, um, as you know, as you can. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I definitely try to avoid delivery at all costs. Like that to me is yeah. such, yeah, especially totally. having lived in New York for three years, I really didn't get delivery. I like never ordered delivery, but you know, a lot of people do in New York. That's like what it's kind of known yeah. for. And, yeah. and it's so wasteful. And so, yeah, thinking about just like going to the restaurant, making the effort because it's like, it's just, it's worth it. And it, and yeah, I just, it takes time, but it definitely does help yeah. keep us mindful and um, inspire others, I think, to do those things. Absolutely. Um, so I just recently went through a big move, as you know, and surprisingly, I didn't have very much trash, which was I was happy about. It was a very small amount of trash, but I donated most of what we had because we were moving across the country and the cost of moving like the plates and the cups and everything was so, so much more than buying new ones. And so I wanted yeah. to talk to you about um, kind of the best way to approach these like bigger life events of like moving, getting a new home, or even just like spring cleaning and, you know, being mindful of that waste and and what is worth donating and buying something new of or buying something used as opposed to throwing it away or keeping it and kind of like because I feel like cost is kind of it could be very prohibitive to be to make these more eco-friendly choices with when it comes to cost. Um, so yeah, I wanted to kind of ask you what your tips were in just producing less waste within your home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know moving is is so tough because it's it's already a strained situation, right? Like it's already stressful. Yeah. If you're even if you're doing it in a way that doesn't really think about the waste, and so so I think it's so. Um, wonderful when people take that, um, have that bandwidth, take that bandwidth to, to be mindful about like ways they can reduce where they can. And so, you know, I think there are, and there are companies that, um, or services that I think are popping up that are, that are trying to, um, reduce waste for big events, like moving. I know there are companies that now you can rent, um, really like thick, sturdy, um, crates from mm-hmm. and you know pack in those and then return them and so it's it's like yeah um, instead of using boxes it, and I, yeah exactly. yeah instead of using boxes and so it's like if you have access to that like sure you know like look into those companies like ask you know about their environmental practices and and see if that's the right choice for you but 
also just, you know, going on Craigslist or Nextdoor or, you know, whatever community forum you have and, and getting used boxes from other people, I think, is a practice that people have done for quite a while. And, and that's great, too, you know, just, like, emphasizing that reuse and rather than going to a store and just buying a ton of new boxes and things right. like that. So. So I think there are definitely ways to, to try and look at that and, and make, you know, different considerations instead of wrapping stuff in, you know, bubble wrap, like explore. I mean, this is what I do when I move is I use all of my towels and clothes yeah. and will wrap my dishware in that and pack it and stuff. Yeah, no, that's that's um, exactly like, you know, what I'm I do. my clothes anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like thinking of little, you know, little things that you can do like that, that, that don't make your life necessarily more difficult being an already difficult process like there's a lot of ways to just like use um your it's materials usually less difficult because you already have your clothes <laughs> you don't have to go out and get totally. everything it was actually funny that I was my experience it's I went weird looking but that's my yeah experience, so. <laughs> I actually went to a box store and I was like do you guys have used boxes and they're like no <laughs> like we sell oh, no. we sell new boxes and I was like oh right, right. they're like that's what we do to make money yeah I, I've definitely got the stores and like corner stores and yeah. they always have you know some like liquor boxes are very common I'm sure you know if I, while I'm moving it's just like a ton of used liquor boxes in the past and like people are yeah. like oh what she's got going on <laughs> exactly <laughs> there's always you know definitely always I think materials that we can get extra use out of um and so that's that's a great way to to approach it and just you know when you're going to a new area like you said like going across country mm-hmm. um looking into secondhand items when you when you get somewhere so always I think buying secondhand um or looking at options sometimes there are forums with like free cycle I think is you know sometimes a forum that's used in cities where you can go and people are just like I'm giving away my deck equipment because I'm moving across the country and don't want it so so you may actually have some sort of like passing ship (laughs) of things like that where you can where you can get just stuff for free that someone um is also trying to to let go of yeah. that's that's more sustainable. Yeah, um, we totally so I think there are a lot of existing that. resources for that which are great. Yeah, we um definitely have been trying to acquire things from family and friends yeah. who are getting rid of stuff because yeah. filling up an entire apartment can cost a lot of money. Um totally, totally. And it's and I think also sometimes um people do, you know, buy new things. I've done it, I realize it like it's it's sometimes a part of life. Um yeah. and I think there are ways that you can find companies. Like, of course, there are certain opportunities. Green America, for example, we have a green business network directory, um, the nationalgreenpages.org, which is a directory of businesses that are environmentally and socially responsible. So you can go on there and, like, you know, search by category and stuff. Oh, that's that's, so cool. There are different... Yeah, yeah, it's like, well, it used to be a magazine directory, but we finally have adapted it to the 21st century, and so now we, we no longer have a directory, but we have um, we have this great resource online for, for folks to learn about new businesses, because a lot of it is, like, you just don't know, you know, you're, you, you see the brand names, you see the ads, and you're like, okay, well, these are the companies I know exist, but there are a lot of companies that maybe don't have that that reach that are doing pretty cool stuff. So um, another thing I like to do is when I, if I'm buying a product, like for example, um, a bathing suit Mm -hmm. or something, (laughs) and I will go online and Google recycled content blank, you know, whatever, whatever item I'm looking for. And sometimes I, I really do find new companies that I had not heard of that are trying to use, um, textiles or like upcycled materials and, 
um, doing cool stuff with that. Um, so I, I think there are, there are also ways to, to learn more about these new companies that are trying to do more sustainable things through just like some Google searching around. Yeah. Um, and which is, which is pretty cool. So yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity there too, when you do have to buy something new. Right. And then in terms of like your advice on establishing some better habits, like either in your new space or like after spring cleaning, if you just want like a fresh start, what are like some other habits that you have that you really think are like tried and true, the, the easiest ways to kind of make sure that you're being mindful of, of more environmentally friendly practices or um, just producing, you know, less waste and things like that in your home? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and I think there's, I think there are some great um, resources. I know that there are a lot of um, people in the online zero waste community that share, you know, are very mm-hmm. committed to these practices and are regularly sharing like their tips and ways to address that. And um, I think there are also some folks who are really focused on the um, inherent privileges sometimes that are, are associated with sustainable practices. And so. Um, yeah, addressing those systemic challenges mm-hmm. that many communities face when they're trying to do sustainable things. But I, I think it, it also touches on um, that a lot of people are already doing this stuff. It just might not look Instagram perfect and, like, look like a sustainable practice, but just, right. like, reusing what you already have. Like, shop your house first and look at the stuff you have um, and figure out, you know, if you want to redecorate your house, Maybe try, you know, moving around your furniture. Try redesigning it, the stuff you already own, in a way that feels new and fresh. Like, Mm -hmm. my boyfriend and I have done that. And I'm actually shocked sometimes at how different and new our house feels. But it's all the same stuff that we already had. So I think that's a good advice, though. What you're really looking to achieve. If you're like, you know, I want to clean out my house and I want to donate a bunch of stuff. Like, looking into options for how to discard um old electronics that aren't working more you know like how to donate clothes um how to donate books to your local library and things like that so I think there are ways that we can um put items out that we're looking to get rid of and also just use the items we already have a bit more mindfully and that of course is is great for our wallets as well as the environment in many ways when we're just looking around and using the stuff we already have um so I, I definitely think we can we can kind of apply the reduce, reuse, recycle, you know, mantra we've heard for all of time and give it really a new refreshed meaning and, and recognize that when we, when we do practice those three things in that order, um, we can really see a radical shift in how we're consuming resources and how we're using materials. So, um, yeah, definitely trying to, to look for new opportunities and ways to, to practice those and whatever that looks like for you, you know, it's not going to look the same for everyone. Right. Um, so that's where the, the creativity and, and interesting, I think, parts of sustainability and the, the exciting parts of it can really come to life. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll, I'll definitely include that, um, website on Green America also in the podcast notes, um, cause I think that's an oh, awesome yeah. resource. Um, so just for the final round of questions, these are the questions I ask everybody. Um, the first yeah. one is what mantra or words do you live by or do you like to live by? Oh, yeah, I that's such a good question. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I live by so many mantras. I, I am someone who, um, for pretty much my whole life has, um, have, has worked to manage, um, my anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, tendencies toward anxiety. And so I feel like my, I've got this like list of mantras that are all surrounding worrying and anxious yeah. behavior. Um, so that's, there's that whole, that's suite great. Of, you know, like mental health and maintenance 
Yeah. Um, so I always go back to the, the phrase, um, worrying means that you suffer twice, mm-hmm. um, which I actually think is from a Fantastic Beast movie, but it's, I think it's a great phrase. And so I think about that a lot. Um, but I also really am guided by this overall principle through all my work. And I try and keep this, it, it matters how you get there. And so I think for me, thinking about how I'm arriving at something, how I'm working, how I'm building a campaign, how I'm, you know, conducting outreach, like all of that matters. And there needs to be, I think, values and integrity in all aspects of that. And so really just not thinking about only the outcome, but also Mm -hmm. the process and making sure that the process of things is, is staying true to the outcome that I'm trying to achieve. So, yeah. So for me, I think that's, that's something I'm, I'm continually (laughs) trying to, um, or continuously trying to, to, um, improve and, and enhance in my life. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with that work. I agree with both of them for sure. But the, the worry one, I mean, that is something my boyfriend and I are constantly talking about is when you yeah. stress about something that may or may not happen, it's just like a total waste of your energy because it usually doesn't end up happening. And then you just totally. are anxious for no reason. So obviously it's easier said than done, but I think that's just an important thing to keep in mind always is just like you can handle whatever life throws at you. Just don't anticipate mm-hmm. it. Like just, yeah. just wait for it to happen because it may never happen. Yeah. And that's, what's more important. Exactly. Yeah. And trust that you can handle it. Like exactly. I think so much of it for me at least is like, you know, a, a shaky trust in my own, you know, abilities to handle things. But then you look back and I, exactly. I'm, I'm big on looking at the data. And yeah. that's sort of how I approach anxiety is like, you look at the data of like, have I handled business before? Have yeah. I been able to handle difficult situations yeah. and come out on the other side of it? And if the, you know, the answer is typically yes. And so you can exactly. just like rely on your own strength and capability so yeah totally yeah definitely easier said than done but it's good to like remember that and remind yourself of that every day I feel like absolutely I think that's a good thing to wake up and say to yourself in the mirror too yeah. if you if you do yeah. that I'm working yeah. on that yeah. right now is like looking in the mirror I barely ever do it because it's just hard to get into the habit but just like talking to myself in the mirror because I don't really do a lot of self-talk like that like everything's kind of in my okay, head either. It's not really yeah, out loud, so um, yeah. I think saying I, it out loud. I love that. That's a really good thing to do. I should try and do that, too. You've inspired me to, to do that more. <laughs> <laughs> it adds, I think, a level of yeah, power to those words. So yeah. Awesome. Um, and then the second question is, we all know it takes a village to raise kids, and even if you don't want to have kids, what do you most value in, commun- in a community or friends and or family who could you know be part of that village of people? And if you are like an aunt or a cousin of small children, you know, kind of what are you most focused on in passing on to those kids um, in yourself, but also in the community of people around them? Oh, yeah, that's that's wonderful. And I think, you know, we recently, there's a recent article talking about how one of the best and most impactful ways for adults to learn about climate issues is through their children. Like, like parents, mm-hmm. I think, are at the very least uh, somehow, you know, open or receptive to when their kids talk about it. Not the case for every family, obviously, but, but that's a very powerful way for, you know, kids to, to start becoming more involved in the world around them and, mm-hmm. um, caring about the environment, caring about their impact and like trying to, you know, um, yeah, just be a part of positive change. And so I think I, I am an aunt, a new, a new aunt. My Congrats. nephew is four months old. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And so I, I honestly, have not spent a lot of time with babies or children mm-hmm. uh, in recent years. So for me, it's sort of like, I, I feel like sometimes I'm asking my sister dumb questions like, well, when does he start walking? Like there are things about child development. I just, 
about, but um, <laughs> but I think she, my sister, throughout her pregnancy, um, and you know, in his in his young life, uh, have been regularly asking me questions about like waste reduction and things like that. But also, she's just been doing her own research. I think because of our relationship, because she has. Um, really incorporated these values of, you know, environmental practices and reducing waste in her own life uh, through her own work as a clothing designer, even, mm-hmm. um, and an artist. She's, she's really, you know, transferring those skills into, into this new role as, as a mom. And so, awesome. you know, for example, for her, um, for her baby shower, she asked everyone to, instead of bringing cards, she asked them to bring secondhand children's books, like their favorite, you know, book or whatever. Oh, I love uh, that. Instead of a card. Yeah, and then, like, you know, she asked people to not wrap gifts. She wanted, you know, none yeah. of that. And she wanted people to bring cloth diapers. So now, you know, they use cloth diapers. And, and looking for those those ways to, to tackle waste. Um, and I think she's just excited to raise um, raise her son, you know, with those values. And I'm certainly excited to talk with him about that and really yeah. just, you know, learn what excites him about the world. Like, what animals he's going to like, you know, what um, – what you know does he like trees does he like bugs does he like rocks you know Mm -hmm. like cool stuff like that I think I think really just tapping into that like natural curiosity that kids have and supporting it and encouraging it and then you know marrying that to how they can you know take action to protect these things that they love so much you know and and really um yeah just just really linking to that and of course not everyone unfortunately has access to green spaces while growing up, you know, kids, um, sometimes kids may not, um, live near a forested area or a rural area, but Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing a lot of, uh, community gardens popping up, um, Mm -hmm. in major cities, which is so cool and wonderful. And even at schools, preschools will have gardens. And so, you know, I think, um, there, you can look for those spaces to, to take your little ones and, and just show them, help them understand natural processes and the environment and the earth and, and how they can be a part of that. So, so yeah, I think looking for those opportunities to, to connect growth and excitement about the world yeah. and just learning cool stuff <laughs> to um, how we can take action to, to, yeah, live, live better in the world um, for the world. So, yeah, I mean, that definitely ties into my last question of what do you hope to instill in the children of future generations, which I think you're obviously doing already, you know, with your sister and, and just her taking on that responsibility for herself is so awesome. And, you know, when you said all that stuff about the baby shower, I think that's also so great because it gets everyone in her community thinking about those things too. And I always laugh, like I never give gifts wrapped. And I know like my sister, everyone like thinks it's so weird, but I'm, my sisters don't either, but like I just it's it seems like it's so wasteful in my mind like I'll use newspaper or like a scarf or whatever like I but I usually will like just put it in a reusable tote bag and like it just won't be wrapped and I think that's an easy way and also the tote bag can be a gift too like you know why not so completely I, I totally agree it's that's I think so cool and I love those ideas um and and yeah I mean I think with your job too like what you're doing is so awesome with kind of impacting future generations too and getting these initiatives, you know, out there for the public to know about is so important. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It was so awesome talking to you. Um, and I'll great talking with you. Wonderful questions. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, and I'll include in the podcast notes, like where everyone can find you, but if you want to share, um, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a website, um, and it's just bethrecycles.com. 
Um, and it's pretty easy to find the contact form there. So you can just uh, shoot me a question or, you know, anything you want to chat about. I'm always happy to, to try and do what I can to um, answer questions and, um, yeah, talk more about waste <laughs> or talk about how to reduce waste. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much again, Beth. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Awesome. You too. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks.